What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> ECW World Heavyweight Champion. The ECW. When you want to load down the professional wrestling, come right here to the two-man power trip of wrestling. You'll get all the load down. <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Power Chip of Wrestling brought to you today and powered by the icons of pro wrestling and comic book collector fest on Saturday, April 16th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Some of the greatest legends in the history of professional wrestling will converge on the infamous ECW arena, AKA the 2300 arena for an afternoon of meet and greets, picture taking and a whole lot of fun. And join the two-man power trip of wrestling and our guests, Shane Douglas, Kevin Thorne, and Justin Credible. Head on over to tmptofwrestling.com for more information and to join us at the Icons of Professional Wrestling and Comic Book Collector Fest on Saturday, April 16th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And with that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz, and John will join us in just a second to tell you all about today's guest, an underrated legend, a guy who's known across the world by one name, and that is The Grappler. And of course, The Grappler's name is Len Denton. And we're going to be talking all about Grappler Len Denton's book, Memories of a Masked Man, a story and a journey throughout professional wrestling territories that you're going to love, like Mid-South, like Portland, like WCW, actually, a really funny story about WCW. But, John, I'm going to let you get right into it because this was a primetime pause exclusive with the grappler Len Denton recorded in the fall of last year. We had some technical difficulties that led to the delay of this episode, but still, it's here today. And, John, I want you to get right into it. Tell them all about Len Denton and how this experience was chatting with such an underrated legend like the grappler. Yes, chatty boy. We are on today with a legend, yes, an underrated legend, a man that sometimes goes forgotten when you're going through the annals of all the legends and all the big-time guys throughout the history of the business, but you cannot forget about Len Denton, you cannot forget about the Grappler. What a great career he had, what a legend he is, and we're going to talk to him a little bit in the interview about his book, The Grappler Book, Memoirs of a Masked Madman, which is a great one. For those of you who don't have it, get on Amazon, go out there and buy it, check it out. Great stuff, some great stories from all around the globe. And a few big ones that really stick out. Obviously, his time down there in Mid-South really, really sticks out, and especially his match, or I'll say matches, feud against Jake the Snake Roberts that led to the DDT, and we go into that story as legend 
has it that basically that move was created in the match with Jake and the grappler. And we go into great detail about that. That was really cool. We go even more in depth in Mid-South. We talk a little Bill Watts, the booking, how it was down there, the crowds and everything else. So that was great. It had a lot of fun story about that. We go a little bit into Arnie Ladd, a little bit into Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And of course, of course, can't forget, we go into a little bit of world class as well. I mean, we go into every league that he was in but the world class stuff was great he had a lot of great stories about that and we go into memphis his great run there we talk about the dirty white boys when he was with tony anthony I and mean, we talk about so much great things that have to do with his career and kind of underrated kind of under the radar as far as legends go for sure and we also get into stampede wrestling as well i mean he's wrestled everywhere he's a top guy all around the globe he was even an enhancement guy later on in his career as his career was winding down in WCW, which I'm sure a lot of you uh, WCW fans like myself will remember a great match out on Saturday night against Eddie Guerrero and a couple other good ones. So even if you're not a big time old school fan, some, uh, some of the newer school fans should know him, should recognize him. As I'll say once again, he is an underrated legend in his business and definitely under the radar. And when you talk about a guy like Lynn Denton and his career and having a name like the Grappler, you know that he's the perfect complement to any of those classic territories like you mentioned, John. But the one that obviously is most identifiable, I think, with the Grappler is the territory of Portland. And there's one guy, you talk about legends, you talk about uh, legendary figures, there's one guy who's very identifiable with Portland who had a very close relationship with the grappler, and it's one of the most, I would say, uh, touching parts of the interview where some of the memories shared about the legend in question. Uh, but, John, when you talk about him and you talk about the places he's been, Portland, obviously, way far at the top of the list, and it really is uh, it's a, its an underrated territory. If you ever go back and look at Portland uh, wrestling as a whole and Don Owen as the promoter, you know, you've seen so many stars that ended up going to the big territories like New York or like uh, Georgia that came through Portland and really made a name for themselves in Portland before they went anywhere else. But it's also what that Portland territory still means to the grappler after all these years and what he's been doing today still to help the future of professional wrestling share his knowledge and learn directly from a source like the grappler and really get that experience in a specific territory and uh, show them how to foster it and grow it from the bottom up. Yeah, you know what, Chad, when you talk about Lynn Ditton and you talk about the grappler, you just think about today what he's doing in the business with WC, WC, the West Coast over there, and also Paragon Pro Wrestling down in Las Vegas. So he's still engulfed in the wrestling business, still doing a lot of stuff. Uh, months ago, he was doing a one-man show. Obviously, uh, the Grappler Wrestling Academy, he had his book. I mean, he's engulfed in the wrestling business. He's done so much in the business and continues to do so much in the business. But something that really sticks out, and I know you mentioned it to me uh, off-air, and I know that we talked about it in-depth in the interview, and that is his relationship to the Portland wrestling scene. Obviously, we go in-depth into the NWA there, the NWA Pacific Northwest, he, where he was a seven-time champion, a ten-time tag team champion. He was a booker, a promoter, a trainer, a manager, a mentor, a teacher. He did everything in the Portland wrestling scene. And we go in-depth into his, you know, the, his life over there, his career over there, the wrestling scene over there. But you can't talk about Portland wrestling without talking about one man in particular, and that is a, a very good friend of his, and that is the Hot Rod himself, Rowdy Roddy Piper. And we do go quite in-depthly into his relationship with Piper. Obviously, the untimely passing of the legendary Rowdy One himself, and we get into that as well, and his thoughts and his comments. And, you know, basically we go into his past with Piper and everything they went through together and them being friends for all those years and wrestling together and, and teaming together. So a lot of great stuff. Really, really enjoyed that. And, of course, you can't mention also Portland Wrestling without talking about Don Owens and the Owens family and their mark on Portland Wrestling. So we definitely go into some in-depth stuff with that as well. And we do talk about something 
that maybe a lot of fans might not know, but that was kind of finding the next grappler and how he still is kind of in search of almost a protege, if you will. They kind of did a little bit of a storyline years ago in the championship wrestling from Hollywood, but he's still kind of looking for that next breakout guy, and that's obviously where the Grappler Wrestling Academy comes into play and him doing wrestling shows and seminars and things. So you think the Grappler is dead, but perhaps as a gimmick, but perhaps not because he's still looking for the next grappler still looking but maybe he is out there the grappler number two could be listening to the show right now and if that is the case go out and buy the book go out and listen to the stories on this show go out and support the grappler lynn denton and go find the memoirs of a masked man and you'll get all the information on where to get that book later on in the show, but John, before we get it on over to the interview and before you hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business, just want to remind everybody, head on over to our website, tmptofwrestling.com. Hit the tab for the icons of professional wrestling on April 16th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The two-man power trip of wrestling will be joined by a couple of our good friends from the show in Kevin Thorne, Just Incredible, and the franchise Shane Douglas for an afternoon of meet and greets, picture taking, and hijinks. Get on out there to Philadelphia if you can. It's going to be a hell of a day, and we would definitely love to reach out and touch you and give you a too sweet or a high five. And uh, thanks for listening, and thank you for supporting the two-man power trip of wrestling. But, John, with that being said... Hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to the grappler, Linden. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at WrestlingPal and at Two Man Power Trip. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Also, check out the feed for prior great episodes featuring the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Stan the Lariat Henson, Dale the Patriot Wilkes, Matt Morgan, Homicide, and so, so, so many more. So please check that out. Also, you can check us out on Player FM, the I-95 Sports Network, and the Top Rope Press Radio Network on TopRopePress.com. Also, please check out our Pro Wrestling T-Store. It is new and it is awesome. So check out the TMPT, Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling page on ProWrestlingTees.com and order one of our shirts today. Also, wire over there. Scroll over to the Kevin Thorne page where you can become a member of the Bite Club. And speaking of Kevin Thorne, if you're looking to book Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, a.k.a. Kevin Fertig, please email bookings at TMPTofWrestling.com. That is bookings at TMPTofWrestling.com. And now, without any further ado, the author of the Grappler book, Memoirs of a Masked Madman, he is Lynn Denton, a.k.a. The Grappler. Please enjoy. I hate Styles. I will be here, and you will not have a map, son. Guarantee you one thing. Show up, Roddy Piper, if you've got the guts, boy, because the grandpa's going to make sure it's a workout that you won't ever forget, Daddy, and you can count on that. All right. Next Saturday night, workout. <laughs> we'll be back. We'll be back more after this. He's been a champion down in Texas, down in Mid South, for the NWA up in the Pacific Northwest. Even for world-class championship wrestling, he is a booker, a promoter, a trainer, a manager, and now an author with the Grappler book. He is the Grappler himself, Mr. Denton. How are you doing today? Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, buddy. Thanks for having me on the air. I appreciate any time bringing you on here. Let me ask you something. Uh, when you say I'm a legend in pro wrestling, that mean, does that just mean I'm old? <laughs> <laughs> He's so old, he can never wrestle again. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I appreciate everybody calling me a legend. Believe me, I did the best I could to hang in there, partner. 
Oh, yeah. Now, uh, first thing I wanted to talk about was the book. Uh, it's a grappler book. It's uh, Memories of a Mad Madman. And what was it like making the book? And, you know, what was the general reaction, you know, while you're writing the book? Well, here's the way it all got started. There's a fellow named Joe V. That's, uh, he works for Channel 12 out here, a uh, syndicated station. And he's got a... Um, He's got a master's degree in journalism from the University of Washington. And he was doing some uh, announcing on TV for us, and you know, because we were on Channel 12, and we were working together hand-in-hand. Hand. Every once in a while, you know, we'd get on trips together or do certain things together, and I would tell him stories of things that happened in, um, you know, in my past, that happened in, in my profession in pro wrestling. And um, he... Um, he loved the stories, and then he, he heard me telling him in the dressing room with different guys when he was around and at TV shows when he was around, you know, in the dressing room and locker room, and he literally liked them. And he goes, you know something, man? You need to write a book and get this out there because people will be interested in it. And I've been told that many times, but, hey, you can imagine the grappler trying to write a book, you know? <laughs> well, actually, I, I was okay in the ring, but I never did do real well in the, uh, the A's and B department, you know? But um, – they, um, you know, I tried to do it before, and I called a bunch of college, a couple of colleges, and I never could get anyone to pick up on it. But Joe took it; he took on the task, and it was, um, it was, it was, you know, it's pretty, ta pretty heavy task to, to challenge. But uh, he's an excellent writer, and um, I just came and told the stories, and we worked together on it, and uh, he put all everything in order. But there's one thing I learned a heavy lesson on is if you write a book like that and you put that out in the public for the people to read and talk over, you better be correct about what you're saying. So everything better be, you better go back in time and make sure all the P's and Q's and uh, I's are dotted and the T's are crossed because you people will call you on it. Say, no, 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 that didn't, that happened in six, in 81. This is where you were at. So you better make sure you're not making nothing up. So he did all this. He did all the research. He did all the background stuff to make sure everything was right. Because a couple of the stories I had, you know, it's like you're talking 25 years ago, okay, 30 years ago when I first started out. And so it's like, but we got it all straight, and, and uh, it was it turned out to be a pretty good thing. It was it was um, uh, bestseller on Amazon for six weeks for a wrestling book, and it did it's still doing real well. And it's called Memoirs of a Mass Madman. And uh, no, I was glad I, I was glad I did it, and uh, Joe did a heck of a job on it for me. That's definitely a great, great book. And one of the interesting stories in there that I definitely wanted to ask you about that I could get you to elaborate on a little bit is the Jake Snake Roberts DDT story. Exactly, what is the you know the true story behind the you know making of the DDT quote unquote, and where did it happen? Okay, um, now the way the the way it happened was. When I was in the Mid South area, I was in North America at the time. I was the North American heavyweight champion. Now the um, the promoter of the Mid South is a guy named Cowboy Bill Watts. Okay, and um, they had the Junkyard Dog on top there, and they had the Freebirds on top, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan on the main events. Now these guys they call back then they call the Furniture Movers. They're, they are the guys that fight all over the building. They're the guys that, you know, go through the tables and chairs and do all the crazy stuff. And Hacksaw would have his two-before out there. And uh, Junkyard Dog would have his, his big chain, the collar around his neck, and go crazy. Well, Bill Watts, the promoter, was a stickler for this right here. At the top of the marquee, it says pro wrestling. So he says, Lenny, you're the grappler, okay, which means wrestler. And you're my wrestling heel, Okay. So I want you to give them 30 or 40 minutes every night of wrestling. I mean, show them what wrestling's all about. So that was my job in the territory, okay? And so but every time I got like Jake Roberts or Jimmy Garvin or Ted DiBiase or somebody like that, they'd go, oh, my God, I got to go 30 or 40 minutes. And it happened to be in the summer. It's 100 degrees in the shade, and we're in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and I draw Jake Roberts that night. So he knows he's got a long one going on. It's going to be a tough one. So back then he was just Jake Roberts. He wasn't Jake the Snake yet, and I was and I was the grappler. And uh, we go out, but he's still a hell of a wrestler. We go out and we have a heck of a match. And I keep I keep calling going back to the front face lock. Now here's how it happened: we were pouring sweat, okay, 
And every time I do the tickles and tackles and all the leapfrogs and drop kicks and arm drags and everything and take over and go back to front face lock and grind me back down to the mat. And so I'd fight my way out of that and Jake would get that front face lock again out of another spot. And we had the people going pretty good. And I finally called the spot and we went to go back to the front face lock and we're, we're ringing wet with sweat. The mat's full of sweat. We slipped our feet kind of tangled up. And down I went, he went down, I went down, he had a hold of my head, and when I hit that mat, I tried to flatten that and keep from knocking myself out. It was a perfect DDT, and the whole crowd in Lake Charles goes, whoa, like that. And so I said, Jake, did you hear that, brother? He goes, yes, let's do that again. They like that. So we call out them. This time, the devious Jake Roberts, he slaps me on the back as hard as he can on the way down. It makes it even louder, and the whole crowd went crazy. And so... We used that move, and we got a little bit smoother at it, a little better at it. For like a, We were booked together for like a week around the loop in the territory. So we practiced it. So I told Jake, I said, Jake, you need to go quit doing this for a high spot and use this on TV and, call it, and use it for a finish. So the next Saturday on TV, he beat some kid with it, and then he started, after that he started naming it the DDT, and that's where it took off from there. <laughs> that's the story on that. It's unbelievable that that great, of a move and you know so many people use it today almost overuse it if you would but it's so funny that it almost happened by accident it was almost by accident yeah but the thing is you know what here's the thing and i'm not tooting my own horn to pat myself on the back but you have guys that are good workers in the ring and know what they're doing they can listen to the crowd okay and see what they want to hear what they want to do or see and if you're a good worker you feel that crowd and you work accordingly and Jake was that type of worker I was. And so when we heard them respond, even though it was an accident, I, we added to it. We changed it up. We started perfecting it, and it made it a great move. And they got many, many versions of it nowadays. Oh, yeah, yes, definitely. And, and uh, you know, they're coming up the ropes doing it and everything else, and they almost uh, overused it, like I said, a little bit. True. But if I could um, right. move, move back to a little bit of, you know, a little bit of history with you and your career. You know, you're in Memphis at the time. Um, you're – Basically, your manager is Jimmy Cornette, and you're with uh, Tony Anthony, and you're not quite the grappler mm-hmm. yet. You guys are the Dirty White Boys. What was the transition like from, the, you know, you and Tony Anthony being the Dirty White Boys to then you guys becoming the grapplers, and then obviously you becoming the grappler for, the, you know, the, basically the remainder of your career? Well, here, here's the – kind of – okay, let me get the stories correct for you. I was the grappler in, in Memphis t- territory before I was the Dirty White Boy. But oh, what okay, happened okay. – okay, it's a lot of – yeah – Me and Tony were the grapplers, okay? But what happened, here's what happened. I was there, and so they had a match. They came to me, and I'll get back to the Dirty White Boys for you. But they came to me, and they go like this. We've been there about six, eight months, and they go, okay, we're on Saturday on TV in Memphis, so we used to shoot our angle on Saturday, and we'd go to the Memphis Coliseum Monday night and have a big match, right? And that Mm -hmm. was one of our big houses. So Saturday on TV, they come to me, uh, Lawler and – Eddie Marlin, which helped run run the place, and said, hey, Grappler, listen, because I did all the talking. They go, we want you to uh, go out there. You got uh, next this coming Monday, you got a hair match, hair versus mask against the Bruise Brothers. And I go, really? I go, which one of those guys shaving their head? <laughs> he goes, he looks <laughs> at me like, that's Porkchop Cash and Troy Graham. He said, don't worry about that. Just go do the interview and do it, do it right and make sure you get some people out there buying tickets. So I went out there, and I knew what they planned to do is pull my mask off, but I wasn't about to do that because that was my character around the country. And so I went out there and said, okay, Eddie, but I ain't taking this mask off because we'll worry about that Monday. It's fine. So I went out there, and I got on TV, and I handled about a three-minute interview out just as strong as I could possibly get it, okay? And then uh, when we got to Memphis, we had a good house. I'm standing in the locker room, and uh, Tony's already dressed. I ain't even dressed because I figured we're leaving anyway, but Tony don't know what I got in mind, okay? So um, they call me over, go, hey, here's what we want to do, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a thing, and they start pulling your mask, and you get on your belly, and you slide under the bottom rope. Just as the mask comes off, we'll have someone with a towel there, and they won't see you. And then I say, hold on, just stop everything right now. Okay, bro, here's the deal. I told you Saturday I wasn't doing it, Eddie, and I'm not changing my mind tonight. I said, here's, brother, that's my character. I worked his years for it. I was a North American heavyweight champion. You're going to try to take all that away just for one little show in Memphis. And I know you got cameras out there because I see them, okay? He goes, well, if you ain't going to do it, then you, I guess you got, I guess you're done. I'll get my check, bro, bud. 
So I went over and told Tan Tony, I said, uh, suit up, let's get out. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, brother, we just quit. <laughs> he said, holy cow. So when I explained it to Tony, <laughs> when I explained it to Tony, he agreed. So then I got my check. And so they figure I'm leaving, but I know better than promoters. I know how it works. I waited. And Tony said, I said, heck no, wait a minute. Wait till the matches start. When the matches started, I walked out through the crowd, right through ringside, and waved by all the fans because I knew they were going to say we chickened out and we're scared of the Bruce Brothers. <laughs> I wasn't letting them get away with that. <laughs> so it went about oh, six months or so, and then Jimmy Hart uh, came up with the idea to bring us back as the Dirty White Boys. That was totally his idea, you know? And so the manager was Cornet, but the Jimmy Hart, took, he, he took over. You know, and um, we came back and uh, worked as a dirty whiteboard, but and it worked good in Memphis. It wasn't a bad gimmick. It was it was pretty good. You know, it got over good. But when they took it, we got booked from there back into Mid South as a dirty white boys. It didn't get over very good. I didn't because Bill White used it a different way, like a hardcore biker and all that, and it just didn't it just didn't cl uh, click. It didn't gel. You know what I mean? Yep, definitely. So you basically, you know, eventually. As you move your own separate ways away from Tony Anthony, he stayed the dirty white boy, and you returned to back to being the grappler then? Exactly. Yeah, he even got a manager, and I guess it was his wife. He married her, was a valet, and all dirty white girl and all that stuff, and I went back to the grappler. Yeah. That's when I went to Texas and different places and came here by myself, you know, in Portland, Portland, Definitely. Oregon. Definitely. I just wanted to touch, as you mentioned Texas, I just want to touch on uh, world class for a little bit. What yeah. was it like mm -hmm. down there at that time? It's, I mean, obviously at one point in the 80s, it was a really, really hot territory with the Von Erichs, but what was it like when you were down there? Yeah. Obviously, you end up winning the you know, the Texas championship. Yeah, well, yeah, they made me the Texas champion, which I was proud of that. And the Von Erichs are like a legend down there. I mean, they were just unbelievable. And uh, they still had good houses. I mean, it wasn't like on fire like it was in the 80s, like you said. But it was still good houses everywhere you went, just about. And um, I loved, of course, I'm from Texas, but I loved it. The territory, I loved working there. You got paid cash every night. <laughs> I liked that. And um, I had a great time. I really didn't want to leave. I remember one time I was wrestling, um, and uh, at this time, Bruiser, the late Bruiser Brody was the booker, you know, right before I left, like three or four months before I left. And Frank come to me in the dressing room in Dallas at the Sportatorium. And he goes, Lenny, he goes, they're fixing, you know, I see, I see the writing on the wall. He said, well, you're wrestling Kevin Von Erich tonight on TV. He said, he's going to beat you with a claw. I go, okay. He goes, but if, if you get some color, you know, some blood, he goes, uh, if you get it good enough, I might be able to get you, you know, another month or so. And so, <laughs> so I went out there and I went to the bone, man, because I wanted to stay because I was dating a girl from Texas there and all that. And I didn't want to go nowhere and, Brother, I went to the bone and I come back. And I'm trying to get new skin on. I'm trying to. I'm in the shower with ice pack, trying to get it to stop bleeding, so I can make the last call at the bar. I don't want to get sewed up. <laughs> so I'm, I'm standing there. <laughs> I got women to chase and beer to drink, boy. Texas redneck. And so, um, all of a sudden, the curtain opens and there's Frank. He goes, "Hey, Lenny, good job. I got you 12 more weeks, kid." I go, "Thanks, Frank." <laughs> I finally got to stop and got my butt to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great story. What uh, what was Bruiser Brody like? What was um, you know, the obviously huge. Oh, he was a hell of a guy. I mean, Frank. Sir, what was that again? I'm sorry. I was I was just saying, what was he like? What was Frank like? Frank was a good guy. I mean, he was kind of guy didn't give no quarters for astronaut. He was straight up hardcore. I'll give you an example. Here's Frank. Um, heck, he liked my dad better than me. <laughs> But um, but at one time I was in the in the sportatorium and I looked on the card and I got uh, I got Brody. I'm like, oh man, I think to get my ass beat, you know, because Frank didn't pull nothing on nobody. He put that boot in there, and you better be ready to take it, dude. Or otherwise, he's gonna lay it in anyway. And what are you gonna do about it? It's like fighting Andre out there, you know. And so um, I go and uh, I'm standing in the corner. And here comes Frank. And they're all cheering. I go, you know what? Every time I wrestle Frank, he just beats pumbles my ass. So you know what? I'm just going to attack him. So when he comes through the ropes, I jumped him, backed him in the corner. And I said, I'm going to get my shots in first. And I chopped him like five times. Back then, I could chop pretty good, you know, in the chest. 
and it was popping loud. And I hit him like five in a row. He looked at me, just kind of laughed, spin me around, chopped the hell out of me. Then he said, get a headlock, a headlock. So I got a headlock on Frank. He said, take me over. I took him over. He called a high spot. Now, Brody never did high spots. He was a butt kicker. You know what I mean? We're on TV and national TV. And he, he did high spots to me, had a regular wrestling match. And then he ended up beating me with a big boot. So when we come to the back, I'm just shocked. I'm like, holy cow. Frank comes over. He goes, Lenny, you know why I wrestled you and gave you a good match? Because you're a man enough to stand up to me. The rest of these guys, are, they, ain't got, they ain't got what it takes. I respect that. That, that was Frank Brody right there, bro. Okay? <laughs> that was, that was him great. right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, you hear all the stories. I'll wrestle him a million times different places, you know? Yep. What's that, sir? I was saying, you, you hear a lot of stories about how stiff he was and how tough he was and, you know, rough and tumble. Hey, I'll tell you right now, he was stiff and that got his gimmick over and that was sort of his gimmick. But he was, he, if he wanted to wrestle, he could have a match just like one of the small guys. He was a good technician. You know, he, oh, yeah. he put in his uh, he put in his due diligence to be a uh, professional wrestler. He earned his his colors as a wrestler before he started kicking butt. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely, Brody. Uh, you know, one of my yeah. favorites, definitely. Uh, you know, a huge legend in this business. And before you had mentioned, you know, going to Portland, obviously where you are now, in, over in Portland, Oregon. And you kind of can't talk yeah. about Portland, Oregon, and wrestling without talking about the late, great, rowdy Roddy Piper, and I know you two had a bit of a relationship. What was it like with uh, uh, Rod? And, you know, can you talk about your relationship? Well, yeah, very good, and I loved the man to death. We're, we're brothers from another mother. He'd tell you the same thing. And um, we cut, we, um, I met him when I was 17 years old when I first started pro wrestling, when I broke in. And he treated me good then. And then we went through where well, he went on his way and I went my way, and we met up back here again. And we opened a business together. We had one for 14 years. We ran. We booked this territory with Don Owens together. We booked a couple places. We did all kinds of things together. I worked for him on the road as a bodyguard for like three years and all kinds of different things. And me and Roddy had a good relationship. Uh, sometimes he'd get me some mad. I want to kill him and, you know, and stuff. But, you know, you're going to have that when you go through that many years, you know, being a friend with someone. But, you know, the thing about Roddy was this. I'll put it to you like this. This is why I love the guy so much, and I miss him. was because, like, I was with him, as I can say, as a bodyguard toward the end there. And we went to a, a, a Comic-Con thing in L.A. And we were there about a week in this hotel. And um, we were flying out the next day to go to England for a couple weeks. And so I, um, I go, um, so um, Roddy goes, I'm going to help Roddy with the show in England and all that. So my First, my oldest girl, Brandy, was pregnant at the time. Here, she lived here in Portland, right, right across the street from us. And, my, and um, so uh, I'm sitting there that morning, getting ready to go eat breakfast or something. And she calls me, "Daddy, Daddy, now why did baby call me? We're just we were real close." And her mom was right across the street. I mean, right across the street. <laughs> but she calls me, "Daddy, Daddy, my water broke. Help me!" I'm like, "Baby, I'm in L.A. Okay." I said, uh, she goes, well, I'm thinking to have this baby. And then I said, well, call your mom, and I'm on the next plane. So I packed my bags, and now I'm supposed to be going to England the next day, and I walk over and knock on Roddy's door, and I got my suitcase sitting there. He looks at me, and he's he's mad. He goes, what are you doing? I go, you're going home? I go, yeah, bro, I got to go. I told him what's going on. My my grandbaby's being born, and my daughter's calling. She's upset. And he goes, dude, what about England? What about you? I need your help. He's, he's upset. But then he keeps he looks at me, and I guess he see my expression, and he stopped. He goes, Lenny, we've been friends a long time, and this is where, why I care about Roddy. Here's what came out of his mouth. He goes, hey, Lenny, your first grandbaby? I said, yes, sir. He goes, you know what, man? Remember one thing. Family comes first. Get your ass to Portland, son. I'll figure out something. <laughs> that's my buddy, Ronnie hmm. Piper, right there. You know? Yeah. Hmm. But see, that's what he was, and that's where he treated his family. Family came first, you know? It's funny he's a good hound. He was a t- double tough cat too, boy. Oh yeah, it's funny because you, you, know, you see him on TV and, and you know you see him as this uh, basically this real tough guy with uh, you yeah know, crazy a-, a crazy attitude and a big mouth, but you don't realize he's such a sweetheart, you know, behind the scenes. No, he had a good heart. He had a real good heart. He could be a tough guy if he wanted to be, but he's a, one hell of a shrewd businessman too. 
you know. He got the money out of them promoters. <laughs> <laughs> now, what is what he was good at that. Like over the, definitely. What is it like with the, you know the Portland wrestling scene? Because you know, obviously, with uh, Don Owens, you hear a lot of stories. But what is it like over there? Um, you know, you hear like a lot of legendary stuff about the booking over there, and you know, obviously, a lot of great yeah. guys came and went for the territories. But can you give us a, a little glimpse into the Portland wrestling scene? Yeah, yeah, well, it's um, well, I came here. The, um, I was in Texas uh, for the Von Erickson World Class, and I got booked. And finally, I called, and me and Don made a deal. They needed a booker, okay, because Rip Oliver was going to WWE. Rip was their booker, and so Rip, uh, he uh, talked to Don, and he recommended me to come here and take the job because he knew I knew how to do that. And so I got booked over here, and finally we got we agreed on the money. Don Owens finally. And so I come over here, and uh, the first show I made was a sports arena in Portland. So now I just left down south, and I'm used to wrestling the Superdome, um, big arenas, coliseums, all this kind of stuff, right? And uh, I pull up here in my first show, the Cuban assassin, uh, Fidel Sierra, was driving me. We're riding together, and you get there. He goes, here's our, here's our big show. It's a bowling alley. <laughs> the sports <laughs> arena. It's <laughs> It's a reconditioned bowling alley. They it's called the sports arena. You got to be. Is this our big show, brother? Yeah, I said, oh, Mal's ready to get on the plane, and go home, back to Texas. And he goes, no, man, you're gonna like it. So we got in there. But once I've seen the tradition, and all the stuff, and all the history, and all the background, it was an honor to be here. You know what I mean? I mean, I sometimes I didn't feel like I was good enough to be in there. <laughs> you know? I go, man, these guys, all Buddy Rose, everyone, Flair, everybody's came through here. Holly Race, you name it, right? And it's like it was just an honor to be there. And then I got the hat, the knack of it, and really, you know, I, it's it was a good territory because you'd be home every night, you know. And Don was a good payoff guy, so it was really a joy to work here for Don, you know. Yeah, it was good. Absolutely. And then you were a, a seven-time NWA Pacific Northwest uh, champion, and you were a ten-time tag team champion. So yeah. You had a lot of success in the Portland area. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, and I was here for a long run. I was here five years, so it was. Uh, I went to a lot of different talent, a lot of different guys, and and uh, ended up staying here. Yeah, it was it was a great place to work. And obviously, I mean, you're retired now, and you know you're doing a little bit here and there, a little bit of being a manager and stuff. But what's it like looking for you know that next? grappler that next guy because you know it was a little bit of a storyline you had uh you know on tv there over there in the championship wrestling from hollywood but is there a next grappler well there's guys just tried i hadn't found the straight up guy yet the one that can hack it you know he can do it it's got that what it takes to be at that level right now and i'm not trying to brag on myself it's just there it's so hard now here's why because the the guys they wrestle you periodically, they don't wrestle steadily like we used to. And to learn, you know, they'll wrestle two times a month and they're off for three weeks. It's like you have to do it day after day to get that good. When you do it, like I used to work seven days a week, twice on Sunday for years. I mean, till you get to that level, it's hard to be there, like with Flair and Steamboat and all those kind of guys. We did it every day, you know. So it's hard to find a guy that's got that talent that right now i mean there's some there but it's like they already got something going or they got something else going on now right now i'm working for west coast wrestling connection right i'm writing the shows and booking for them and i'm also doing a national show on pop tv out of las vegas i write that show and i produce it and direct it um but one of my big things i'm working on right now boss is uh i started there's a place called harvey's comedy club over here in portland and the guy's named Barry Collins, the owner, and we put together a one-man show, and I did it Saturday. I did an hour on stage, and I did a 30-minute Q&A, and then I did a, a meet-and-greet, and it went real well, so we got real good comments on it. So, and we had Comcast come there to film it, and now we're going to make a, like a scissor reel to send out to try to get it booked. So hopefully I get some bookings doing that. That's a blast. I love doing that, too. You are keeping very busy. How did it go with the one-man show? How do you think it went? I, I thought it went well because we, we had a press release out on it and people showed up and they seen it and everybody, I had no bad comments, no negative comments so far. So I think it went well. And the most important thing was the guy that 
funny thing, putting money in is Barry Cohen, the owner of Harvey's Comedy Club, and he liked it, so that's what counts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that, you know, that, that's all that matters, really. <laughs> um, well, I know, you know, because if you lay an egg, they won't book you nowhere. <laughs> you know? So uh, they were happy with the performance. I thought it, I thought I felt good about it, you know, for the first time doing it. You know, up there just telling stories about you know Russell and Andre and uh, stories of Flair, uh, uh, Roddy Piper, uh, the Midgets, uh, Jake the Snake, on and on. You know. <laughs> oh yeah, you got and obviously you win the book too. I mean, you got plenty, plenty of great material and great stories. But I just wanted to yeah. something you mentioned. What is the show on on, on uh, Pop TV? The one on Pop TV is a national show called Paragon Cable, a Paragon Cable, Paragon Pro Wrestling, and it's uh we've been filming that. It airs like at twelve in the morning or one on, I believe it's on Sundays. I, I'm, by honest with you, I've seen it a few times, but man, that's too late for me to be up. <laughs> but but I um <laughs> but a lot of people DVR it, you know. But yeah. um I um we've been doing that one for well let's, uh, let's see five six months now. And um, and the one on here is on channel 49. It's a local channel. It's called West Coast Wrestling Connection. And the same promoter owns both companies. Oh, okay. So I, I direct, yeah, I, I just, I, write, I book it, write the shows and every month. And um, and tonight, actually, I'm going, I got a wrestling school as well. It's called the uh, Grapplers Wrestling Academy in Salem. I'm fixing to leave in about an hour headed for that. They got a student show tonight we're doing. You are keeping very, very busy, I see. If you don't, you get old faster than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as we start yeah. to wind it down here, I got a very interesting question. I mean, I, we ask it of all, like, the, the legends we have on and all the guys, you know, that have spent significant time in the business. Obviously, you worked yes, in uh, Japan for New Red for Wrestling. I mean, you worked in, everywhere in the States. You worked uh, yeah. in Canada for Stu Hart in uh, Stampede Wrestling. Yep. You wrestled Bret Hart, but... Do you have a favorite match or maybe matches that you've had throughout your career? Well, I, I tell you honestly, um, there's a few people, okay? One of the best I ever had, one of the ones I loved was with Harley Race, okay? Because we worked the same kind of style. Um, and then uh, Ted DiBiase was a, was a total, I mean, it's like a night off. Me and Teddy always had great matches. And in the tag situation... It was a fab. I mean, it was the uh, uh, Rock and Roll Express. They were fantastic. We had great match. We just looked at each other and know what to do. It was that easy, you know. And uh, so, those are some of the best matches I ever had. Yeah. I thought you might say for a second uh, when you were on WCW Nitro and you and you wrestled Goldberg. I thought that you might say that. Well, <laughs> that wasn't one of my best matches, but everybody in the world seen it because I got my butt kicked in thirty seconds. <laughs> Even my dad goes, I've been wrestling forever. He goes, Man, you got I go, Man, is that the only match you ever seen? What the heck? <laughs> so he didn't see me when I wrestled like when I was in when I was there to get I was trying to get a contract and they, they give me Eddie Guerrero, God bless him. And I loved Eddie. Now he was a hell of a match too. I mean he would always had good matches with him. We went on their Saturday T V, I forget what they call it, but it's like you could go longer on T V. And we went oh, 20 minutes nice. on TV, and yeah, and they said, "Hey, brother, you you're a cinch for a contract." That was a great match you had with Eddie, but <laughs> but then no one seen that one. They just remember the one with Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got! I come home, and they, when I got home, that's when we hit me and Piper had the transmission shop together. And I come home, and uh, they got black balloons floating in the office for me. I well, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, you were another. You were number 100 and something. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever uh, did you ever want to sign with WWE? I mean, I guess you you kind of were going there hoping you get a contract, but was it uh, shark infested waters in WCW in that, at that time? It well, it was, yeah, it was, and it was like I was told twice I had a contract, even by Bischoff, and even by and so I go, and then but it never it never panned out. So I don't know what was going on. There was a lot of people doing a lot of things trying to, you know, like keep their position and all that. So I just. I was there just trying to get a job, you know, but it just just didn't pan out. It wasn't because of the wrestling or the work; it's the politics, you know. Oh yeah, the, the dreaded old politics in pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah, it'll get you, time. boy. <laughs> yep. <laughs>
Yes, sir. Do you, do you have a favorite opponent that you've had? I know we named quite a few great matches you've had, but do you, you know, do you have a favorite opponent guy you love getting in the ring there with? Yeah, I just remember honestly, I could not miss with Ted DiBiase, or you know, like he was one of the. I don't, you know, there's so many. I hate to put one guy over the other because I had guys that could really have good matches with. Jake was one of them too. You know, it's like, but Teddy, I mean, I had a lot with him, you know, and, um, yeah, it was just, he was just fantastic. I mean, it's like, oh, God, Ricky Steamboat was a good one. Um, man, I don't know how to say just, that's hard for me to say just one guy, you know. Definitely. Even it's Dusty nice. Rhodes, we used to have hell of a matches, me and oh, Dusty. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the late great Dusty Rose, the American Dream, another great yeah, one, and yeah. another another guy gone way too soon. Uh, you know, another great yeah. legend gone way too soon. Is there a match, you know, that you weren't able to have in your career? Maybe like a quote unquote dream match, a guy you always want to wrestle, but you, somehow in you know your travels, you never ended up wrestling. Um. Well, he was too old. But I would like to wrestle Luthez, but I never had a chance. He was too too up there when I. But um, no, I God, I keep. Let's see. Um, somebody I would would like to wrestle. I think um, was God. I can't think of the guy's name now. He was from. Uh, he worked in the office in Kansas City. He was a world champion at one time, but I can't think before Harley and all that. Uh, but somebody that people would recognize right now. Um, um, well, you know what was Flair? I guess I'd say Flair. I had I did things in the ring with Flair, but I never wrestled a total match with Flair. You know what I'm saying? Oh yes. Yeah. Like we never just went one because he was a heel and I was a bad guy. He was a bad guy, right? But we did things where he demonstrated the figure four on me and different things, promos together, interviews, all that. But we never wrestled like a straight up, you know, good guy against bad guy match. You know. So I would definitely. like to wrestle him and like, huh? I was gonna say he's definitely a, a good uh, a good opponent. Oh yeah, it's like you. I know without a doubt I had a good match with him. You know. Is there any current wrestlers? Do you do you, well? First, do you watch current like WWE or NXT or anything? Is there any current wrestlers that you would say, you know, if that guy's you know got Ric Flair potential, if you will, if that guy's got star power that you know can last for a long time? I um, <clears throat> I tell you the truth, I try not to watch it because if I do it, it affects me when I'm trying to write TV because I want to, I whether I whether it's self conscious or not, I I imitate sometimes. Like I don't want to do the same angles they do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So if I watch right. their show, all of a sudden it's stuck in my head, and I'm going, oh cat, oh hell, I've seen that on TV. Why am I writing this? So I I uh, try not to, but there's a lot of good talent out there. There's a lot of great talent, young guys, you know. Like I said, a lot of them don't get the chance to um, to work as steady as they could. They even be better. You know what I mean? But um, I'm trying to think of this one guy's name. Uh, I can't think of it right now. I ain't watched it enough to really remember his name. I, I've seen it. If I've seen him on TV immediately, I know who it was. But um, there's, I've seen lots of great talent. Just to specifically say one guy, I, I really can't, you know? I get you. And one big question for you, you know, if you look yeah. back in your, you know, you're looking back in your career, and obviously you had a big one, and you know, somewhat still going on, but your wrestling career. What would you say is your lasting legacy on the wrestling business? If you had to put a stamp on it, what would you say is the legacy of the grappler? My legacy is um, kind of with the guys too, but the wrestling fans. But that I, uh, when I went out there, okay. And Ernie Ladd taught me, helped teach me this, er, the late, great, big cat, Ernie Ladd. It's like, it's like every time you go to the ring, okay, two, two separate things. One is this. If you go to that wrestling ring, look like a pro wrestler. I mean, why would someone sitting in the ringside want to buy a ticket if they look better than you? At least look like an athlete. You don't have to be the biggest giant guy on steroids, but look like you're in shape and you can do your job. Don't look like a you know, like out of shape and you're trying to imitate a wrestler, okay? So that that's your due diligence you need to pay to be in the sport, okay? If you can't be in shape or an athlete, then get out, okay? And the other is um, 
I, I was always a stickler for giving, just like Bill Watts was, who said on the Marquee Pro Wrestling, and I gave him 100% out there every time. I don't care if there was – I've wrestled in front of one person before because one time we were in a, a, a snowstorm and we were at the high school when it hit, and we had one one person showed up, and he was General Mission. <laughs> he was standing <laughs> against the back of a gym. No kidding. And so Barnett out of Atlanta, Georgia – they called him. He was the, he was the owner at the time, Jim Barnett. They called. He goes uh, before Ted Turner took it over, and he called and says, "Hey, if they're there, I got to pay them. Tell them to wrestle." And I had to wrestle Ox Baker in front of one guy, but I gave just the hard of matches I would if there had been uh, a thousand people there. That's the kind of thing I want to leave his legacy. That is a great, unbelievable story, and I'm sure that one fan, you know, he got his money's worth that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know because Oxy was yelling all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yes, nice from Ox Baker. Now, uh, if you could yeah. please tell everyone again, that, you know, about the wrestling school, about the wrestling academy, about the one-man show, about the book, anything okay. you can, you know, where can they find you the it. Well, purchase a book, or get a book of mine, it's on Amazon.com, or you can go to Grappler. Uh, Grappler, Grappler Book Online is called. Grappler Book or Amazon.com to, to get a book. Um, now, the wrestling school is called uh, Grappler's Wrestling Academy. It's out of Salem. You can look that up on the Internet and see if you want to be a part of that. And uh, also, uh, I'm running a, a, a booking a show called West Coast Wrestling, uh, West Coast Wrestling Connection, and that airs on Channel 49 uh, every Saturday night. And... Um, and then it's out of Portland here. It's a local show. And then we also got a show that's airing on Pop TV, and it's um, a nationwide show that I do out of Las Vegas. I go and I book that and write it. So I got a lot of things going on. And then my favorite is I, there's a, a Harvey's Comedy Club in Portland, Oregon, a guy named Barry Colin. He is the owner. He's got he's put together when we have a one man show. It's a lot of footage, a lot of stories of the past of the. Legends in pro wrestling, the guys I've wrestled, Andre the Giant, Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, Roddy Piper. It goes on and on. Junkyard Dog, Hatsaw Jim Duggan. Um, if you love that kind of stuff, if I come to your town, get a chance to see it because we're planning on taking it on the road, and it's going to be booked soon. So um, it's called um, Pro Wrestling the Grappler, Uncut and Uncensored. And, uh, man, we're going to bring it to your town. I hope you show up. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. It's been an honor to speak to the legendary grappler. Thank you so much for coming on with us tonight, Mr. Dan. We really appreciate it. Brother, thank you for having me anytime. Okay, boss? You take care. Oh, awesome. You too. Have a good night.